0: Hello, and welcome back to Faith Fitness and French Toast. As always, I'm your host, Moses Allwood, and I want to warmly welcome you back to the podcast. The purpose of this podcast is simple, to encourage, empower, and inspire athletes of all walks of life in their strength endeavors, faith walk, and of course, their best options for post-workout late-night meals. I'd like to thank our sponsors, Skull Smash Ammonia, Raw Grip Chalk, Tennessee Pre, Primate Apparel, for their consistent support and encouragement. For the best hard-hitting ammonia in the game, there's none better than Steve at Skull Smash. If you're looking to hit a brutal pull and need that added grip, Raw Grip's Liquid Chalk is the highest quality on the market right now. If you're like me and you want that focus boost in your training without the caffeine crash, then Tennessee Pre is the pre-workout for you. And I swear by this, we are humble, but we are savage. Primate Apparel's mentality of sticking to your guns and standing up to those who do you ill is a vital part of my training, and you can head over to any of their Instagram pages to get some products. But today I have the honor of sitting down with Justin Dubbs, a renowned powerlifting coach, ex-con, and drug addict turned family man, and a guy who at the end of the day is just ready to make a positive impact on not only his family, but the next generation of powerlifters. You don't want to miss a single minute of probably the most inspirational episode of the podcast yet. As we talk drug rehab, solitary confinement, positive affirmations, and what it takes to take those steps necessary to better yourself. So sit back, relax, and let's dive in. Dubs, what is going on?
1: Hey, what's going on, buddy? How you doing?
0: Hey, I'm doing all right. Uh, I just got back from the gym. Uh. And, you know, I, I was hoping I was going to beat the rain. And as I look outside, I'm seeing thunder, I'm seeing lightning. Yeah. I did not beat it. <laughs> so, uh, but, uh, you know, you're a hard man to get a hold of. So I'm excited wow, to, to get this conversation done. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Being a family man and all the stuff we got have been going on, it's wild. Uh, it's it's, it's nice now, though, things have settled down. So
0: it's good. Yeah. Finally. Yeah. I feel. I feel like we're coming out of like a chaotic four months of just everyone just trying to figure out what the hell's going on in their lives, man.
1: Absolutely, man. That's that's where I've been. Just like, where? What are we gonna do next? Like, what's everything gonna be like? So it's definitely been a wild time. So.
0: Yeah. Well, for those who you know don't know who you are, I just kind of starting out with the basics. Uh, I mean, how in the world did you end up in this crazy sport of powerlifting?
1: Uh. Yeah. Geez. Um. Well. I kind of was always, I was always into lifting, you know, ever s- when I was in high school, I got into it, uh, you know, we had to take a waist class. And so I got into lifting there and then just throughout the next, what, probably next like five years or so of my life from the time I was a junior till maybe like 22, 23 years old, I had always just been basic lifting. But then, uh, I came across a gym called big iron gym in Omaha, Nebraska, and that was big on powerlifting. And, uh, but I didn't, uh, I didn't really get into it then I was still just a bodybuilder. But I definitely was exposed as a sport. So then, about let's see, that was like 2008, 2009. Then about 2014, 2015. You know, I had been doing some, uh, per, you know, a lot of personal training at this point. I had been involved in bodybuilding and sports performance stuff. Just done a lot of various things. And then I had met my, uh, I met my wa- my wife, and we were talking and stuff like that. And she was big in the CrossFit world. So. You know, she was big competitively. She was very big throughout the South Central region in CrossFit. Um, and uh, CrossFit really kind of helped expose a lot of the other strength sports that are already out there and been out there for a long time. Right. And so, uh, you know, I would have already been strong. And a few people that I knew were like, hey, man, you know, you should really, you know, check out this powerlifting stuff. Like, you know, you're, you're already strong. You're a big guy. Like, why not? <clears throat> and it hadn't been very big yet. You know, it's this is 2013 at the time. So powerlifting wasn't getting super huge like it is now. So, you know, talking to my wife and stuff like that, she was all for it. She thought that'd be awesome. So I started getting into, you know, reading and researching powerlifting, finding out as much as I could about it. You know, I was already coach and trainer in, in different, uh, like, like I said, bodybuilding and sports performance. So why not check out this powerlifting stuff? So I started reading a bunch of like you know West Side books and stuff like that. At the time, that's what everybody was looking at. It was all about West Side was everywhere, West Side barbell. So um, you know I kind of got into that. But a lot of you know I tried to I adapted the conjugate method like right out the gate. Not, didn't really do anything else. Trying linear or anything like that. I just did conjugate, which sure proved okay for me because I already had a good you know general knowledge of training and how to be and form and stuff like that. So, you know, the powerlifting thing took to me right away. I had strength right out the gate, you know, it was something that it it, it hooked me. You know, and I I actually didn't end up competing for probably what? So I started I started training powerlifting in 2013. I didn't compete till end of 2015. So I definitely got a lot of training under my belt before then and I didn't have a ton of knowledge at first. I experimented with conjugate, experimented with 531 and then, uh, you know, some people are like, oh, you should also be a coach. So I've had a few friends that were already strong. And at this time, I lived in Texas. I originally was from Nebraska. And by 2015 or 2014, I moved to Texas where my wife is. And uh, I got hooked up with a gym here called Woodland Strength and Conditioning. And they were big into the conjugate stuff, big into powerlifting. And so uh, when I got with them, you know, they were the ones who kind of, you know, told me I should be a coach, stuff like that, too. And. I started picking up picking up people that I knew and just coaching them for free. Well, the next thing mm-hmm. I, thought, I was like really good at programming. I was really good at kind of like planning people's, you know, peaks out and stuff like that. So I definitely dove into it even more. By the end of 2015, I had already started prepping for my first meet. And my first meet came here in Houston. It was the USPA meet. And I think it was one of the very first ones roughly, or maybe like one of the first five that had ever gone on. And I had a really good meet. I pulled a seven hundred deadlift. I had a four forty one bench, and a five eighty two squat. I weighed only like two hundred fifty pounds. I didn't even try to make weight or anything like that. I just, I just went for it. I just did all the training. I learned how to peak myself better. Uh, But I did conjugate the whole way through, and uh, yeah, it proved good for me. But after my first meet, I had to do it again, and then again. And right after my first meet, I hired uh, Josh Bryan as my coach. And that's when things really took off. So Jailhouse Strong.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, and it's interesting. You mentioned that first meet. Uh, I was talking to Ed Cohen just a few weeks ago about his first meet. Oh, okay. uh, and, you know, I, I I think that's really a pivotal moment for a lot of people. Like, you can go into the first meet and you can just absolutely tank it. Like, it's just horrific. And you're like, you know what? F this. Like, I'm not doing this sport again but then yeah, you, you, otherwise you come in your first meet, you're like, Oh yeah, I pulled 700. I might, I might do this again. So I wonder if you kind of go back in your own mind, you know, what were you even experiencing that first time you came onto the platform? Because now, I mean, you've come onto such prominence that I wonder looking back if you even really remember that moment.
1: Uh, you know, it, it, it was very nerve wracking and I have, I have done a lot of things that kind of give you that feel that like, uh, you're, you're you're about to do something in front of a lot of people in front of people. So it is very nerve wracking, but trying to think back, uh, I just remember kept of thinking, I didn't want to, I didn't want to get hurt. I always thought that I was like, man, yeah. I really don't want to get on the platform and then <laughs> yeah. totally wrong. Uh, because at the time I had seen like a video of Brandon Lilly and he, when he blew out both of his knees mm. and it, it messed with me. It messed up Dude, I was like, I can't even squat right now. (laughs) I'm too afraid that something's going to happen. It it really got in my head. But luckily, I overcame all that. I went out there. And after that first squat, dude, and I tell all my clients this, especially people who are first doing a meet, once you get that very first lift out the way, and it, it might be that way for both squat bench and deadlift, but once you get the first squat out the way, you're ready, dude. You're into it. All the jitters are gone. You're like, okay, I know how the platform feels. I know how the floor feels. And I just remember once I got that very first one out the way, everything was good. I was like super amped up. Let's do this. Let's go. Um, I wasn't really nervous anymore. I wasn't worried about getting hurt. I just wanted to try to get as good as, you know, as best of the squad as I could. And I definitely feel like I had a lot more in me. I stand back a little bit just because I was a little nervous, but being cautious.
0: Yes. Yes. I, I made the opposite mistake. My first meet was with 100% Raw Uh, at Tyson's Playground uh, in Northern Virginia. And in my head, I was like, all right, like I had squatted 485 uh, about 10 days out. And so I was like, you know what? I'm feeling real good. I was like, you know what? I'm going to squat 500 this meet. Yeah. Because I'm like, there shouldn't be any difference, right? Like in my head, I'm like in my gym, I got in the platform be the same man, I didn't do anything the week before the meet because it was spring break. I walked in 440, and it was an RPE 10. Like, it was a nightmare. And <laughs> I was like, oh, like, okay. <laughs> and so since then, you know, I, I've done great. I've gone three for three on squats since then. But that first meet, it was just like, all right, like, maybe I need to <laughs> maybe I need to think a little bit more about my, my training. That's yeah. Awesome. It always makes the biggest, I, and I've had
1: a lot of people come up to me too before, and, you know, and they've done their first meet and just go absolutely horrendous. They've yeah. put all the wrong lifts, their openers way too heavy, you know. They're like, "Well, I just maxed out," you know, a couple of days ago, and this went fine. And it's like, well, uh, maybe you shouldn't have done that either. And a lot of times it comes down to just poor. It was poor training or planning of in the last few weeks. Because I always tell people, the last like four to six weeks are very crucial. You know, you do want to make the right decisions. You do want to taper off your volume. You don't want to be doing too much right before the meet. But it varies person to person. Um, and a lot of times it's people made a poor choice of their opener or, you know, they just uh, they didn't think things through enough or their warmups were off or who knows what. A lot of times people don't. A lot of times I see people they come into their first meet and they don't have their depth down. They don't understand the commands enough. You know, that's a lot of times people's mistakes, too. So, but once you get that first lift out of the way and everything's going, you're good to go. Jitters are gone. You're oh, ready to rock and
0: Yeah. It's almost like you see a completely different person on the next lift because oh, they're like, yeah, oh, uh, I, I know they're going to tell me rack. I'm not going to jump it again. You know? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like, okay. I know now I got this. I got this. People. Well, I this have
1: to- focus.
0: <laughs> well, I have to ask, you know, because. You know, obviously you've gotten to coach some really great lifters. Another good friend of mine's Logan Chapman. And I know yeah, he, I he speaks that. so highly
1: of you. Absolutely. He's
0: amazing. Uh well, I, I wonder, you know, in coaching Logan, Logan's obviously now at this point, he's hit, you know, a thousand-pound squat. This man's bench upper fives. I mean, he's he's putting up some serious weight. You know, what has that relationship kind of been like in, in coaching him comparatively to someone that might be, you know, a beginner lifter? Is there a different approach you take? What does it look like? Uh you know, really. And it, I, it varies person to person
1: too. But even with like a Logan versus someone who's like very like new to the sport and stuff like that, it's just how much attention they need and how much real like you know coaching they need. With Logan, it's just about planning, hitting the right lifts at the right time, not doing too much because he's hitting weights that are just unreal. And so when we you know <laughs> I put something together for him, and a lot of times I just let kind him of run with it. You know, I, I like to push him outside of his comfort zone a little bit. Don't do things that he's been doing a lot of, you know, do things that he's like, oh man, this is not the best. Like I made him do safety bar front squats and some other things that are definitely a little tough for a big dude like him, but mm-hmm. he did them and they paid off. Everything's going good for him. His strength's going up. And it's just with guys like Logan, it's all about just focusing on your planning, your, your, your prep, the weights you hit, not doing too much too often. You know, a lot of times guys that are just really, really strong like him, like him they might just be hitting, you know, crazy. You know, they, they're, they'll probably be pushing 90%, trying to push 90% way too often. They'll just be trying to hit those heavy singles all the time when really it's not really about that. It's just continuing to build up, you know, the smaller groups and building up weak areas and stuff like that for him and maintaining that strength. And then when we get into prep, we really take off. And then someone new to the sport, we're going to really have to focus on Getting their list perfected and stuff like that, you know, like a lot more attention to detail comes in with the uh, uh the newer people. You gotta make sure they're doing everything right so they don't get hurt. Logan's had enough experience that I can just give him what he needs to be doing and he can do it. I don't have we don't talk all the time, but when he needs something and I need to tell him something, we get it done.
0: That's good. And and I think it's an important distinction. You know, you had people reach out to you specifically and say, hey, you might be a good coach. Whereas I think what we're increasingly seeing is everyone does one meet and then they're like, hmm, I'd be a great IPF coach. (laughs) And so they're like, hey, swipe up for my program, you know, there you go. And so it's, it's, it's nice to see people that are being consistent with it instead of, hey, my homie out of Richmond did one meet, went three for nine, and now he's coaching me, you know? So, yeah, but, yeah. Um, um, well, if, if people want to become a coach, it's great, but
1: you should always make sure you have the experience coaching, not just being on the platform because every person's different. You know, you're not going to coach an elite guy like Logan the same as I would
0: someone who's brand new. Yeah, exactly. You, you have to differentiate. You have to know how to, periodized like you there, there's too many different uh, outcomes other than just saying hey go five by five and add five pounds every week
1: you know <laughs> it's all great for
0: certain people and it might work but you know like i said everybody's different yeah yeah well you know i know we've tapped a little bit kind of into how you got into powerlifting but you know the purposes podcast you know of, of inspiring and encouraging athletes you know I, I love tapping into people's stories and you really have a remarkable one um and so i kind of i'll kind of answer ask it vague and kind of let you kind of go into it but you know i know you've posted previously you know you've gone from convict to family man from addict to you know recover like there, there's so many different items here and so i wonder if you can just go into a little bit of your story
1: yeah man um well, like I said earlier, you know, powerlifting is something I was doing, <laughs> lifting and all that stuff was something I doing all, you know, since I was like a junior in high school. But the one thing was, <clears throat> I, you know, while I always had some great things going for me, I was always somehow doing things that were leading me down the wrong path. You know, like yeah, um, when I was when I when I graduated high school, everything was really good for me going through high school. You know, I was big into BMX. I had a little band thing going. That was always really fun and enjoyed doing that. And then, you know, as some things happened and things split up, I think that's when really things took a different turn for me. You know, lifting kind of filled the void for me with all that other stuff that I was doing. Um and so uh with the lifting then then came a bunch of other things and I, I ran into some I ran into, let's just how should I say this? I I got tied in with the wrong kind of people, I should say. And then that led me to a lot of drinking and partying. The drinking and partying then led to just experimenting with other things. And, you know, when you I, – I got I got tied in with a uh, uh, a bodybuilding coach. Not really – we shouldn't even say the bodybuilding coach. But I got tied with this guy. And this guy introduced me to steroids, testosterone, all this other stuff. Yeah. And this guy treated me like a – basically like a guinea pig. Yeah, he was sticking me. Now that I, once I learned what everything was and how the body works, I realized this guy damn near killed me at one point. You know, he was sick of all kinds of stuff. And it had me so out of control. I was already young. I was already emotionally unstable as a young kid. I wasn't making the best decisions. You know, I was partying all the time, drinking all the time. You know, and this just led me to end up making a kind of some terrible decisions and hurting people in my life that I really really hadn't you know it shouldn't they shouldn't have got hurt anyway but they were just in the path of my destruction and this ended up leading me basically to prison you know prison prison is usually somewhere where you know when i got when i realized that's where i was going and i had already spent you know plenty of time in county jail on various stuff like duis and alcohol related offenses but this time i was facing assault and this time it was super serious i had already been in trouble for you know crimes and I was already on probation for stuff. So while I was supposed to be living a straight and narrow life, I still wasn't. Now, this is where a lot of young people make a mistake. And this is something that I, you know, should have listened to. And a lot of other people is Pete, you know, you're, you think you're invincible. You think that you can just push the limits all the time, all the time, and it's never going to come back on you, but it really does. It does every time. I don't know know, a single person that hasn't had something come back on them when they really tried to push everything to the ultimate limit. And that's who I was. I was someone who had to do everything to the extreme. Well, while I was on probation, I was still violating and doing things I shouldn't have been doing, partying, doing drugs, stuff like that. And of course, that led to another incident. And while I'm on probation, I catch another charge, which is an assault charge. And That ends up leading me to more jail time. And by this time, I'm already like, what, 21 years old. And I've spent, you know, maybe six months of my life already in county jail. And I'm about to be going back to county jail and face, refacing my previous charges and facing new charges. And which this ultimately ended up leading me to prison. Now, I didn't go to prison for the first time for super long. It was only about half a year or something like that got out everything was great but then at 90 days later this is in 2000 2010 I got locked up uh, I got put in put in early 2010 about or no end of 2009 I got out late 2010 September 2010 but I ended up going right back in December early December of 2010 and then I didn't end up getting you know I, I stayed in uh, I got put in solitary confinement because there was just some issues going on with me and my case. They were trying to put a tampering charge on me. So they put me in solitary confinement while I was in there. And this was the, one of the awfulest things I've ever had or worst things i ever had to go through. Um, sitting in a cell for 24 hours a day, no, con- no real human contact besides the guards and no contact with your family, no nothing. You know, they don't really let you have your mail in the beginning. Uh, it, it was awful. I didn't do that for 62 days. Wow. Yeah. And, you know, so 62 days of solitary confinement. Luckily, I was finally I was released on bail. So I got on bail, and uh while I was out on bail, I still didn't learn my freaking lesson. And this is where it you know, you look back on your life like, what the hell was I thinking? I ended up catching a DUI like two months after I got out on bail. Luckily, the courts in one county didn't find out about a DUI in another county, so I didn't have to get locked back up again. No So after this, I ended up continuing to make more mistakes, and finally they hammered down on me, and they threw me in prison for, what? I ended up in prison for almost two years. So I, like, three and a half years of my life I lost to being incarcerated. And it was all over stupid shit. It was all alcohol, drug-related stuff, me being emotionally immature, me acting like I was invincible of what a lot of, like I said, young people think they are. and You know, a lot of stuff we see today, people just doing shit that's crazy. And being in prison was a huge life lesson there was you know there's stuff that i had to hear and experience and see that i don't ever want to have to any i wouldn't wish on anybody and so i think being in prison is what really in a way kind of helped me get some of my shit together you know what i mean so i got out i got out of prison in uh what 2000 2013 and this is when this is like june 2013 july 2013. I had gotten out. Um, mind you, I hadn't really worked out or anything until I had gotten like the last six months of my sentence. So I went from being about 260 pounds to like 200 pounds in the wow. time. But when I got to work release center, right, like the last six months to, yeah, about six months to nine months that I was there, I was able to work out a little bit. So I put some weight back on. So I was coming out of prison about 230 pounds. And, uh, you know, I got out and I was going to have a new lease on life. I was still able to be a trainer. My, someone that I'm very close to is like an older brother to me, gave me a job. Um, and so I got out and I was able to be a trainer right away. And luckily for me, that was the end of my incarceration stage. You know, I was, I was over all the doing all the dumb shit. I was over getting in trouble. I was over drinking and partying, just being, being wild. You know what I mean? Um, so, being in prison, like I said, it was. Uh, <laughs> it's not something I wish anybody to have to go through. So it, it was definitely something that I was scared to get out because I'd been in so long. Really, it's and that's the kind of the feeling you'd want to feel when you're getting out. You don't want to be like excited to get out because a lot of times that people didn't really learn their lesson. That's what they always say. And when I got out, I was terrified because I did not want to come back. Dude, I didn't want to go to bed again.
0: So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a, yeah. Wow. There's so much. There's so much there, you know. There's a
1: ton of stuff there. It it, it could go on forever on the whole. Yeah. Yeah. Experience there.
0: Well, you know. I wonder kind of, and we won't, we won't go too long into it, but I wonder, you know, I think one of my deepest fears is for whatever reason, I'm going to end up doing something stupid enough where I'm going to end up locked up. And so, and I'm sure plenty of people, it's a thing for the powerlifting community in general. You know, I know a lot of people train, you know, as an outlet for something. For me, it was an outlet for my anger. It was an outlet for my anxiety. So I grew up overseas and I hated it. Like I was resentful. My parents, I had to grow up over there. Uh, I grew up in the Bible belt of the U S. And so then I move over to, to Europe, to Ireland and just shoved into the secular environment. Don't know anyone. My name's Moses for God's sake. So that doesn't help. Uh, and you know, I, I turned to powerlifting cause I was like, man, like if I don't get my shit together, like I'm going to end up hurting someone, I'm going to end up doing some irreversible damage. And I'm sure plenty of the people listening, you know, whether they're connected to me or you, or they're just following the podcast are in a similar place. So I wonder what, what's your biggest recommendation? You know, people that are trying to channel that energy that may be drifting towards that negative direction to avoid making that same mistake.
1: You, you know what it, it <laughs> It always, and it comes down to if you feel like whatever things you're doing or a decision you're making are leading you back down that negative road, it's all about being mindful about it. being mindful about your environment, your situation, what's going on in your head, how you're thinking. And you have to change how you're thinking. You have to be more positive. You might have to change what you're doing or who you're around. You know what I mean? Like there's things that you've got to identify that are taking you down that negative path. And it's not cheesy to change that or it's not cheesy or whatever or cliche to you know repeat positive affirmations to yourself because that's how i used to think like i'd get all negative and start going down this negative road and then i think it's all dumb and whatever to think all positive and try to change yourself and do this or do that you know redirect your energies and you really have to do that if something you're doing is taking you down a negative road you've got to redirect that energy into something else you've got to change who you're around you got to change the environment Anything that's going to help bring change, you know, get your mind off of that negativity or what's taking you there,
0: yeah. No, that's that's good. Uh, I think I'm at least someone who is like, I don't want to say I'm a negative lifter, but I'm a very like angry energy lifter. That's just me, uh, you know, and and I know plenty of people are, and you know, it can be effective, but there's but there's also that like narrow channel of effectiveness and then the broader like destructiveness like i was chatting with with stacy burr who i just love to death and there's that saying it's a positive affirmations like it's the it's the stay positive keep the people around you that are encouraging you instead of the fuck the world i hate every you know that like everyone else wants to
1: be in man
0: and you know and that, that and all that stuff works
1: for certain people but i know like me like i used to be around a lot of that like just negative, like trying to do that negative energy to get you to get through stuff. And then they'd just be saying a lot of negative stuff. Fuck the world. Fuck this, blah, 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 blah. Let's go, blah, blah, blah. But that shit just like wears on you after a time. And and me personally just couldn't be around. And I really like to be around more things that are positively, you know, positive vibes, good people, great energies, uh, people who share similar values and stuff like that.
0: And, yeah,
1: you know, even, I don't know, For me, it just, it just works because I don't want to be in that negative mindset because I've been there for so long. I've been stuck in it for so long. And, you know, even after, after prison, I wasn't okay. I wasn't mentally okay. I was living with a ton of shame, guilt, resentment towards myself, resentment towards some of the people in my life. Like I was still not good. The one good thing I had in my life was my wife that she came in and made everything so much better. You know, she finally started me the healing process for that but i wasn't over all the dark shit just yet but yeah man it for me it the positive affirmations work the 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 uh the en- the energies you're around the people you're around the environment that all plays a major factor and if you're someone who's trying to change that negative energy or change all that stuff that's what you got to do and believe me it works it works
0: yeah Well, so, so moving forward from prison, so you get out of prison, you jump right back into prison, you get out of prison again, and you're in the clear, at least from that area. But I know you've also struggled with a great deal of addiction. You know, I, last season I was supposed to, I've had to reschedule with him. I was supposed to chat with Garrett fear, you know, and I was really excited about it because in a similar thing, he he dealt with this young heroin addiction. And I know you've dealt with this exact same thing. And so, times. Oh, I'd imagine, you know, so I'm excited to have him. He's actually on the back end of the season as well, the end of July. Um, So I'm sure he'll, (laughs) he'll bring it up. But I wonder, you know, what, what did that journey look like? Even as to now, you know, I know you posted recently of being, you know, a couple of years sober.
1: Yeah. So, yeah, that's the big thing too. Like it's been April, April 20, April 2018 was when I stopped using opiates altogether. That's you know, and I, I, and I'll be honest, I still smoked weed. I've still taken mushrooms and other hallucinogens and stuff like that. So I wouldn't say I'm like a hundred percent sober into some people's standards, but I haven't been using any drugs or anything like that. Um, uh, so yeah, you know, and, I, and like I said, early on in my life, I had, I had been exposed to drinking and stuff like that. I had been exposed, exposed to a little pot, whatever. But once, you know, once I got and this is crazy too, something my mom brought up to me once I got out of high school, you know, I lived in Omaha, Nebraska for a little while, and I had my wisdom teeth out. Mm -hmm. And that was the first time I ever gotten a taste of opiates. And my mom was explaining to me that I was pretty messed up. Uh, And then I was taking those opiates for a little while after I got done with that. But I, you know, that that opened my mind up to a whole bunch of other little things I was kind of messing around with opiates and other things here and there all throughout but alcohol was my real clutch that's what i did way too often i mean i never thought of myself as an alcoholic or anything like that but looking back i was definitely a kid doing that way more than he should have and spending way too much money on that type of stuff so you know going through that part of my life and all that stuff i'd already been messing with things but never really addicted um it wasn't until it wasn't until really like um i got to Texas, you know, I, I I always smoked weed, and that was really my my big thing. I, I enjoy that. I think it's a great thing for people, but it can be abused, absolutely, for sure, for sure. just like just like anything. <clears throat> so, um, you know, I had also biggest thing is like I've never really uh, how do I want to say this? I've never really uh, I never really experienced like taking having large amount of drugs on on me at one time. So taking them so consistently that I really get hooked. Yeah. But eventually it led to that. I had been in a competition. I'd been in a competition and then I hurt my back on a on a deadlift. And it wasn't really that like severe, but it was pretty serious. And this was me getting right like, kind of into the peak of my powerlifting. So I was really like, I gotta train, I gotta do this. And um I had gotten a hold of some, you know, opiates, some oxycontins that definitely may shouldn't have been given to me for just what I had. You know what I mean? That was definitely the issue right there. And taking that for, you know, a a few weeks at a time and really enjoying the effects of those definitely gets its hooks into you fast. And then once the doctor stopped giving me those and he just gave, re-prescribed me like some of the uh, ibuprofen 800 type stuff or whatever, but I still got fucking sick. I got sick from the opiates because he just cut me off. Um, So then my friend that I knew, you know, this whole led me down the road where he gave me some stuff that wasn't oxygen and it was fentanyl and I got hooked right out the gate on fentanyl. Um, so, you know, what became just needing a little bit to get through for the pain became now I need to get through because I don't want to get sick or because I just like being fucking high all the time. And so while I was having great work production and I was actually kind of like, just, I felt like I was a machine because I was also at a basically taking opiate fentanyl and methamphetamines at the same time. You know, I was intermixing uppers and downers, basically a speedball effect to get through my day because I thought that's the only way I'm going to be able to get all the work done, handle all the people I'm doing, run this and do that, blah, 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 blah. Well, that don't last for very long. That, (laughs) that, That ran out very fast. What became enjoyable, fun, doing all this stuff, getting all this stuff done became... Now I just gotta do it to function. Now I just gotta do it to stay alive. And my whole entire life became about just having my shit. I wasn't focused on my wife. I wasn't focused on my job. I was fucking everything off, man. And, And no matter what, there's no one out there that can sit there and say, oh, I can maintain a drug habit. No, you cannot, because you're always chasing the dragon. You're always trying to get that first time high and you're never gonna get it again. And you're going to blow all your money and you're going to piss everyone off. and You're going to lose everyone you love. Luckily, I was able, I'm able to have people in my life that stuck it out and that were here for me and knew that they didn't want to give up on me. My wife, she stuck it out. Even when I was at my absolute worst, she stuck it out. She got me through it, you know, and I relapsed a few times, of course, and every Real addict I've talked to has said that they've gone through it. They've relapsed a few times before they've actually gotten clean. Yeah. And uh, finally, dude, I got sick of it. I just couldn't freaking do it anymore, dude. It was, I had to have a specific schedule, a maintained life. I had to have all this shit. And me and my wife are getting to finally move into our home together and do all this great things. And I knew I couldn't continue functioning like this. I was running out. I was, I was withering away so finally i was able to just get my shit together and i I kicked it it by myself you know it's not recommended way but i definitely if you're determined enough you can fucking kick this shit anybody can kick it you just have to be willing to go through the suck you know and i know people suffered way worse and you know you're not going to die you didn't you feel you're damn near there though you lost your mind but you come out of it on top and there's a lot of things that remind me of going through withdrawals and how it fell. And there's a lot of things that take me back to that. And that's a big reminder of why I never want to be on that shit again. And, you know, I see it on TV and I see, I know people that are probably hooked on it still. and I know that people are suffering and it makes me feel so bad because I was there and I was in the darkness and I hated myself. And that's why I kept in, can you continue to use drugs so much because they made me feel good about me again. Yeah. I have so much hate for myself from everything I went through before. I had not forgiven myself for all the going to prison and all my crimes and all this other stuff I did. Like I thought I was a piece of shit. I thought I was just some dumbass, but really I wasn't. I was a really good person, but I was trying to mask it all. Once I got a taste for the drugs, they made me feel good about myself. So it was over from there. Yeah. And that's why there's a lot of people that have mental illnesses that suffer from drug abuse because of that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, and and what's so interesting kind of taking back to the beginning of kind of what you said, you know, no one goes into taking drugs and be like, oh boy, like, I can't wait to be strung out. Like, this is, (laughs) this is my favorite. I really want to be itching to that. Like, no one's like, oh boy. No, they go in. Like, (laughs) exactly. Like, I can't wait to never be able to not live with, it. you know, but instead of, of you kind of said, you know, you go in, you're like, man, you know i'm being more productive i want to do this because i feel like it's going to help Dude, and I instead of help it just it kills you i thought i was like cuz i was
1: already a really fun and goofy person as it was but this just made me like way more than that and made me way more productive i was knocking out all these programs i was gaining all these clients you know and everything was booming for me but i was also at the very early stages of a drug addiction and then what turned into one that wasn't costing me anything Turned into one to me having to be a hustler, be a big dealer to move my. Sh- to I had to sell to to take care of my habit to stay alive, yeah. and that's. Yeah, I'm thankful that I didn't end up in jail again. You know, honestly, I, dude, I, I. Most guys don't make it out. There's so many people I know that are not. I, I just lost a friend. You know, I know there's people out there that are struggling and they're not going to make it out. There's there's guys that go 10, 20 years addicted to stuff. I couldn't imagine. I just went like, you know, not even two years, not even that.
0: Yeah. It's, you know, the, uh, you know, kind of now that you mentioned that, you know, when I, when I first got into powerlifting, probably back, it wasn't even powerlifting. It was like Ollie lifting back in like 2016. Um, I got connected with a guy, I I won't name him, but connected with a guy through hybrid, um, down in Miami. And and i followed him out of a gym out of, uh, California and he ended up going back and, I found out I get a friend sends me a newspaper article. He'd been coaching me nutrition, everything, a newspaper article. He was drunk driving, gets into a car accident with a guy, other driver dies um, and he's, he's in prison. We haven't heard of, It's been, you know, two and a half years. Yeah. And uh, I was chatting no, with a mutual you. friend of ours. You know exactly what I'm talking about. And I was chatting with a mutual friend of ours. Um, and she just said, you know, like it, it's, it's devastating because none of us knew he had relapsed yeah. until that that night and it's hard it's, like, it's fucking devastating because it's, because it's just you just you, you never you never know what the consequences are going to be until you get there you, you know? don't
1: people, some, that's what I said some people never know some people have no idea that their person they're with or their loved one is back hooked on stuff because that's how addicts are you know you can maintain you can keep things a secret no matter what you're just living this giant lie that's all it is your life's a huge lie and that's one of the biggest things I had to, you know, uh, I had to deal with too after getting clean with dealing with all that shame. But that's the thing. People that get hooked on stuff, we don't want to just open up and say it. You know, even when I first got addicted and I knew that I was addicted, I'm not going to just go up to my wife or my friend's friend and say, Hey man, I'm fucking hooked on drugs or I'm stepped in drugs. <laughs> right? Like no, casual I'm conversation. Like a- I don't want anybody to know. I don't yeah. want anybody to know about that. I'm like, Oh God, what happened? You know, and, You end up becoming, you live in so much guilt and shame. It just, it isn't, it isn't fun anymore. No more high, no more nothing. And that's why so many people end up losing everything because they just go to the drugs because they think that no one will ever accept them again. And so a lot of people end up losing their life or like you said, they relapse. Nobody knows about it. Nobody can help them. Nobody talks to them or they did. They relapse. They opened up to someone, and that person kind of made them feel even worse about themselves. And so then they go out and they keep doing their shit. And then something bad happens, you know. Like I feel terrible for what happened to the person that you're talking about. Like when I heard, and I was like, "Oh my god, dude, no, no, no!" Uh, you know, because well, he, he's it's- a really good person from everything I've ever heard about the guy. So it's like it's just like something gets a hold of you; it can change even the greatest of people. And it can make the worst things happen to the greatest people.
0: Yeah. Well, and because, you know, this may be a hot take for some of the people listening, because I know it's not 100% across the board seen as horrific. But another thing I think of, you know, is is pornography. And, you know, you've got probably 99% of dudes in the world and a pretty high number of girls who in the same way, middle school, high school, yeah. they get hooked on this thing and then they're in college, they're in their twenties or thirties, their marriages are getting ruined. And they're like, holy shit. Like I just wanted to see some titties. <laughs> like, And it's like, oh man, like, and, but the thing is all these people learn how to compartmental, or they think they're learning how to compartmentalize their lives when all they're doing is continuing to do what they can to chase it high of whatever it is.
1: Yeah. I know plenty of people that have, said that they're addicted to porn sex stuff like that and that's the same deal you're chasing a high it's just like food people are addicted to certain foods like sugar's a drug man they just like cocaine it gets spikes your dopamine makes you feel really good excited so people just go for that and then before they know it they're eating so much sugar in the day that they're like whole you know they don't even realize how much sugar they're eating they're more eat more sugar than any other macronutrient macronutrient in their diet but um that's just that's just how it is you know you it People that are addicted to stuff know how to hide it, and they don't want to tell people because they feel shame. Shame is the biggest thing that drives addiction. I feel like,
0: yeah. Well, you know, kind of in, in closing on this chapter, you know, as you began that road to recovery, uh, and, and obviously, I mean, ev- anyone who's ever been an addict knows it's it's a lifelong journey. You know, you aren't suddenly like, all right, I am done. Like, like no, you are yeah. always recovering from whatever it is. You know what? What is your advice to people m- hoping to move forward? In making those steps taking those first steps and moving on from their addiction
1: man you know and everybody's road to recovery is so much different like you know a lot of people get to have the treatment they get to have proper meds you know they go to rehabs and stuff like that they uh, so they they're i shouldn't say their withdrawals are any better than anybody else's but they have a little bit more of the stuff that people need when they're in recovery I wasn't taking advantage of anything. So I definitely made my road to recovery way harder than I should have. So I definitely encourage people when you're recovering, talk to anybody you can. Surround yourself around people who are going to make you feel even better about yourself, who are going to boost you up, um, who know what you're going through. Don't try to just do it alone. Don't try to do it by yourself in your head. That's how I try to do it for so long. And it made the last two years a roller coaster ride. You know, I even at one point was trying to self-medicate with psilocybin. I was trying to microdose, uh, you know, because there's so many proper or so many good benefits to, you know, your your mood and all that other stuff with with uh, microdosing mushrooms. But in the end, I wasn't doing it right. It was still messing me up even more. So then when I stopped doing all that type of stuff, and I was still also trying to microdose with MDMA, you know, again, another thing you shouldn't be doing when you're in recovery or period. Um, so that messed me up again. It made everything even harder for me, and I wasn't taking care of my physical health. When you're in recovery, you better be working out. You better be eating the proper foods. I cannot extre- stress the people. If you're in recovery from opiates or wh- whatever, methamphetamines, cocaine, alcohol, especially, drugs shut down your you know drugs shut down your your digestive system. They shut down a lot of your, your central nervous system functions. So when you go through withdrawals. All the, everything that's going on, your body's, is going through like a reboot. So people are like, you know, you're shitting yourself. You're having seizures. You're throwing up. You're cold. You're hot. You're cold. You're hot. Your skin feels like someone's slicing you with razor blades. Uh, you have the worst kind of anxiety period. You, uh, uh, what else? You, you know, there's just, you, it's just awful shit that goes on. So when you're eating, you definitely want to eat a lot of good foods, good foods that are good for your gut, uh you know, like foods that are not pro- heavily processed, stuff like that, because your whole body's going through, it's it's turning back on, your system's turning back on. So, you know, I can't stress enough to people how going outside and being active, getting as much sun as you can, you know, uh, eating the right foods and working out and stuff like that, because all those things are going to help you get back to normal faster. And I pretty much stopped doing that. I was still dealing with so much stress. I had a gym still. I had, you know, other things going on. So my first like, year and a half of recovery was just awful. I wasn't, I wasn't focusing on me at all. I was actually still self-destructing. I became more depressed. I, just was, I was using cannabis way too much. I was smoking it more than what I should have, and it was just slowing me down. Um, I wasn't being a coach really anymore. I just wasn't focusing on anything. I was just really in this big self-pity party. And if you're going through recovery, you don't want to deal with that. You want to just take advantage of life right out the gate. Because I haven't really started doing that until the last like six months. And even the last like month or so, I've really kicked it on. And I I am starting to feel better. And I am glad that I'm doing this again. I am was a little upset that I waited so long. But like I said, get after your health right away because making your health a priority when you're in recovery is going to make your mind feel so much better and picking up new habits like that, you know, going to the gym earlier, doing certain things at certain times are going to be very important too because they're going to, Help keep your mind distracted and focus on other things.
0: So yeah, well, so kind of looking ahead to the future. Obviously, you've got some great clients. You know, you, your marriage is going great. Yeah, I mean, you're you're really on the up and up. So yeah. where do you go from here? What's what's next? What are kind of the next benchmarks for you as you look ahead to the future of Dubs? You know, <laughs> I really don't even know right now. I mean, it's a million dollar question.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, honestly, here I'll I'll tell you where I'm at. Honestly, honestly, like. I have been feeling kind of lost, you know, like I said, things are getting better last six months, but I still feel a little bit of lost. Like what, where, where do I go from here? Yeah. Cause like I said, I'm really just now starting to feel more me. So, um, you know, I am kind of asking myself, where do I go from here? What do I do? So I am putting more effort back into my coaching. I'm getting that fired back up again. Thankfully, I still have plenty of clients who are very loyal and very good clients, you know, so. I have some big things coming up for them you know logan chapman's got a big events coming up towards the end of the year uh i got some other people competing at the end of the year roy glenn uh the animal he's competing at the at the uh us open so i'll be i will be there Me, mean my wife will be there with our son so that'll be exciting um but uh other than that you know i, I have some ideas and things i'm interested in uh things i want to do so I'm, I'm gonna i'm just gonna kind of go from there and just right now focus on getting I don't kind of getting back into a routine again because I haven't had a solid routine. I've just kind of been winging it every day and just taking one day at a time because if I get overwhelmed easily, that's where things start to kind of collapse for me because I, I do deal with a lot of anxiety and I do deal with moments where I get so stressed out that I freeze up and I just can't function. So it's me right now is just getting my full structure to my life again. That's, that's my, that's the future for me right now. And then, I'll start to kind of put my ideas and things that I'm interested in to play and we'll get all that out there.
0: You know, I was chatting with Stacy last week and, you know, she was talking about the showdown meet coming up yeah. here in the fall. Um, we've got the Kern coming up next year. People are slowly starting to shift towards what might be normal, quote unquote, normal again for competitions. As you kind of see the industry continuing to grow in prominence and you've really seen it really from the beginning when you first got started with USPA. Where do you even see the industry going as we continue to gain kind of national international attention?
1: Man, you know, that that is a big good question because so many people, you know, a lot of people are wanting to see powerlifting get into like uh the Olympics and stuff like that, like see that become bigger there. Uh I know there's just a lot of issues that are you know causing that to be stalled out, but with this, with the COVID stuff and everything going on, who, you know, who really knows what's going to be going on with the world? But I, I don't. I see powerlifting just continuing to grow and grow and grow, like it already has. Like, like I said, from the very first USPA meet I was at to what it is now, it is just ten times what it was. You know, I, I think there's going to be, you know, it's. I think if power is going to get big, just like bodybuilding is, and people are going to start getting paid you know, top level competitors are going to start getting paid more. People are going to start putting on more paid meets. I think that's where things really need to go is let's start getting people paid for, you know, putting in all this hard work and doing all putting up these crazy numbers. Like, man, you know, like these guys are still working normal jobs like everyone else. And they're trying to put in all this stuff. I think it's time this sport gets to a point to where we're taking care of people that get to a certain level, professional level and stuff like that. Yeah. Bodybuilders get paid big money. So why can't power off and get on that kind of a level? But like the COVID stuff, that's just—I really hope that the meats don't make people wear masks all the time or all this other crazy stuff. Like, it, that's what has me wondering what's going on. I'm like, oh gosh, yeah. here we go.
0: Well, because you know, I obviously I'm in Virginia right now. Um, and when I grad when I was with Liberty, most of the colleges are USAPL, and yeah. the USAPL is mandating that everyone wear masks. Now, it's oh. no secret that I'm not a big IPF USAPL guy. Yeah. Um, no. So, and most of the people i have on, on the podcast aren't either um no. but you know that's just a terrifying thought you got someone 900 pounds there back. i think of ray williams you get ray williams 1080 pounds on his back and he's wearing a mask like you're already hype enough you don't want to be breathing in a constrictive I, mask. I really
1: hope someone just i hope someone does you know they ah i really hope someone doesn't uh someone doesn't make them wear the mask in the lift because that'd be awful we already know it's restricting their oxygen why would you want to do that when someone's got a maximal weight on their you know they're hovering over their bench or squat whatever that's not good and you know there there had there was recently someone that just died at the gym in our area and he was wearing a mask and it was like uh, what do they call it hypoxia or something like that uh it wasn't enough oxygen in his blood it was more carbon dioxide or whatever so uh, yeah so you know we already know the mask is restricting your oxygen so why would they make you do it when you're doing something like a physical activity like that yeah
0: yeah well and it just sets a dangerous precedent because i mean now i'm not i'm not about to get political in this podcast that's the last yeah, thing probably. i want to happen yeah. <laughs> but like it, it it does set a dangerous precedent because at a certain point we have to go back to normal like you can't the, the world can't continue to operate under the current conditions, like obviously now people can suck it up and wear a mask for a certain amount of time going and shopping and, and whatever, but there's an extent where it's like, all right, guys, like this has a 99.8% recovery rate. Like maybe let us go back to lifting, you know, and, and, you know I, I'm,
1: I, I'm worried about what's going to happen. You know, I've, I've just recently really got into politics and stuff like that. This COVID stuff has really gotten me into a lot of different, different things, to be honest. Uh, so it, it Definitely get into the politics, it's kind of made me realize where I kind of stand politics-wise. I'm more like a, a libertarian type, uh, just in the middle. I'm definitely not left. and definitely not Democratic. Yeah. I, yeah, people are out there a little bit. Uh, I, For me, dude, I'll be honest, I'm supporting Trump because I, I'm worried. I don't want any of these other people in office. I'm worried about what's going to happen to the country. Yeah. I don't want there, this to be the new normal. I don't want there to be... Some wild and crazy new world order. I just want everything to be the way it's been. The true American dream, man. Like, yeah. come here, b- build a business, do this. The government doesn't run your life. All this type of crazy shit. Like, yeah. uh, I don't know, man. I'm not like a For super Trump. expert on it, but I know I just there's some people I do not want to get in office. Period. For sure. So I'm totally sure. cool with Trump being office. He makes me laugh. I like him.
0: Well, that's the one thing that I have said because obviously, I mean, I think the past four years we've seen the most outrage at a president ever. Um, But I'm like, I'm like, you can you can hate someone, but I'm like, the guy cracks me up. I'm like, either way,
1: he's terrible Oh, he's totally against the grain. He says things that like they're like, oh, a president just said that. Like, I'm like, oh, that's my guy.
0: Well, I I laugh because even last night I was out, you know, people are shooting fireworks. Another powerlifting friend of mine sends me a notification. Kanye West goes, "Mm, 2020 vision. I'm going to run for president. And I'm like, oh, like at least we're going to get more entertainment. But I'm like, are you kidding me, man? It's it's July. (laughs) It's July. I know. It
1: is crazy too. Like once you start paying attention to the world and what's going on around you, you're like, wow, there's some wild stuff going on. Yes. And it's like, uh seeing what i'm seeing and like having a kid today has definitely got me like a little concerned i'm like i really worry what things are going to be like so you know and uh one thing too like you know all this stuff stuff and talk about you know vaccines and all this other crazy stuff out there like i'm someone who doesn't want that shit put in me you know if other people want that that's totally cool but all this shit about everybody having to do mandatory stuff. And I don't believe in that shit. I, I, that's what scares me. That scares me a lot. Like have government have full control of everything about you and what you do and how you do things. For
0: Sure. Well, uh, so kind of shifting, you know, the back end of the episode, a couple of my favorite questions. Um, you know, there, this is, you know, it's faith fitness and French test. So I, I tell all my guests I'm like, Hey, everyone here, we can talk about fitness till our faces turn blue. That's, that's what's fun. But you know, as I've, you know, this is now, you know, season four just launching last week. As, as I'm meeting more people, I'm continuing to hear stories from, you know, people who are, are Christians to Satanists, to Buddhists, to ev- everything in between, you know, but, but I firmly believe that everyone, regardless of race, creed, religion, sexual orientation, whatever, has something positive to offer the world. And so I wonder for you, especially with having just such a remarkable amount of things happen to you. Yeah. What does, if anything, faith play into your own training relationships worldview?
1: Uh, you know, like faith wise, uh, you know, I've, I, I've always been someone who's never really been, like, been big into like, you know, Christianity, stuff like that. Like sure. I never really, I didn't believe in like a God or anything like that. I've always been kind of. I've really told a lot of people that I've been into like aliens and stuff like that. Like that's yeah. what I'm into like I'm like I believe in that. But then I've gotten into other things too, kind of like uh, you know, like uh, I've I recently gotten into like Norse mythology and stuff like that, like yeah. the Viking type culture, uh, you know, myth- mythology things. And for me, it's just I feel like. It's it, everyone really tweets their own. Like you, you can believe whatever you want to believe, you know, and I've, I've kind of been offensive before and, you know, said things that have, might have offended people who believe in certain things. And, and I definitely don't, don't knock anyone for anything they believe. I think it's totally fine. I think that, you know, we all need to be accepting of people, no matter what race, creed, religion, or faith, you know, whatever they're into. Um, even today, we were watching the, the, uh, the movie it was Patriot Day is about the Boston Boston, boston whatever you know and even then it's just like uh you know so there's so much hatred in the world and so much other stuff it's like we just need to be accepting and we we do we realize that a lot of the, the stuff has been kind of like bred into us like taught to us hate has been taught to a lot of us yeah. and it, i do feel like people need to start looking inside themselves more and finding out what really drives them and what makes them feel good and people need to stop worrying about what other people are doing or what other people believe in or how other people think or whatever, you know, like I just feel like whatever it is you believe in, you know, you need to pour your heart and soul into that. And I think obviously (laughs) stop, stop worrying so much about how other people are doing things or how other people are handling their life or whatever else, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And and I think, There's there's a lot we can go with that, right? You know, it's it it really it really is remarkable that you know increasingly and whether it's when I'm off the air after the question, people are like, wow, like you don't hate me for not saying XYZ. And I'm like, no. (laughs) Like, now obviously would I as a Christian be like, oh, I would prefer for sure. Of course, it's everyone with a religion, but at the same time, I'm like, for some reason, across across the periods of time we've gotten lost yes, in, sure. in thinking of just being like hey because you believe differently than me i hate you and it's like yes. well no <laughs> i yes. don't no one calls for that you know and a lot of times it's like i, I see i'm like God, why does someone
1: just hate someone so much you know and even just like when i was watching that movie today like why did those guys hate people so much that they had to go do that like what the hell drives someone to feel that way you know, it's, it's like I know it's a, just being different. People have been bred to or taught to hate, and it's just awful. And we need to really stop, really just stop, start loving one another for who they are, for whatever they believe in, whether you're Christian, Muslim, Buddhist, you know, whatever, you're atheist, who cares? If you, st- you know, it, it stop, stop the hate, just love each other and just love yourself, really. A lot of people you need know, to start loving themselves more because I feel like a lot of people. Projects so much hate on other people because they have issues with themselves. Yeah. Sure. I know I, I was like that once I projected a lot of negativity out because I had issues with who I was.
0: Yeah. And, and I think it's kind of back to that same positive affirmations, you know, sometimes it, it's easier to wake up and be like, man, this shit sucks than it is to wake up, look in the mirror and say, you're a badass, like you're going to go out and kill it. You know, that's what we should be doing. But it's free. It's not as easy when you wake up and the first text you get is someone being pissed about something or someone commenting on your Instagram that you ain't shit like it's hard to do it, but it's what's right. And that's how we're going to move forward, because otherwise you just get trapped in that same anxious, depressive mindset that doesn't really lead you anywhere.
1: No. And I see so much of this like destruction going on around the world and stuff. Just like people just acting crazy and violent, destroying everything. I'm like, that's not making any of this better. <laughs> right. I hate you because you're this person. You support this person. You love, believe this. It's like, that's not making anything better. That's just creating more hate, more negativity. It's just letting all that shit grow, which we don't want. Yeah. It, you know, especially you said, you wake up in the mirror and you say, I'm a badass. I'm going to go attack the day. You're probably not going to go off and you know you know you're probably not going to go off and do something stupid or be negative to someone else. Right. If you're negative towards yourself, most likely that's going to pour onto someone else, and you know whatever snowball effect.
0: Yeah. Well, so kind of last big question I got for you, and my personal favorite. Uh, I'm a big foodie. I can have uh, breakfast literally any time of the day and feel great about it. Um, and so my question to you is if there's one breakfast food you could just eat for the rest of your life, it's just your go-to what is it and why?
1: Oh man. Uh, you know, this is a tough one because I have two things that I really, really enjoy. I like, I like breakfast tacos okay. and I like eggs Benedicts. Okay. So it's, it's toss up. I, I, I really like my eggs Benedict, but I really like my, Breakfast tacos.
0: <laughs> well, is there, a, is there a specific way to get the breakfast tacos done?
1: No, I mean, I just like, uh, you know, uh, just some scrambled eggs and sausage with a uh, little veggies in there. And, you know, I, I haven't really even had a good breakfast taco in a while. But I guess I made myself a few. So I take that
0: back. <laughs> sure. You're, less- you're your own best cook, of course. Yeah. yeah
1: but usually when I go out to uh, restaurants, I'll get like the Eggs Benedict or something. So, yeah. but. It, it definitely would be the breakfast tacos is my go-to.
0: Yeah. No, that's yeah, a good
1: I'll eat, I'll eat. I'll make my wife, me and her, you know, but it will, I'll, I'll make us a couple at night times sometimes. What, Brinner, breakfast yeah. for dinner. Oh,
0: it's the best. I, I remember I uh, in college – I was part of some executive board for like a student government organization. And we were like, all right, like everyone hates SGA. Like, what can we do to make people happier? And so I literally we wrote these huge like billboard signs. We just wrote free bacon. And we just put it on the top of the student union. And I got like lines of hundreds of students being like, I want free bacon. Yeah. And we're like tricking them. We're like, hey, vote for student body president. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, no, just give me the damn bacon. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Oh, that's so good. Well, you know, kind of the last thing I'll kind of say here, you know, as, as people are jumping back into training, as they're moving forward, the gyms have kind of been open for a couple of weeks. What's your advice to people that are are jumping back in, hopefully kind of picking up that motivation again to start maybe prepping for a competition or a bodybuilding bikini, whatever. What's your recommendation for them? What's your words of wisdom to, to leave them with? um you know whatever it is you want to start doing biggest thing is just
1: consistency is king for any and no matter what you want to do you know you got to be consistent at it and that's you know that's uh with like i said with anything uh if you're wanting to compete again or you're wanting to achieve this goal or that goal really it's just mapping out the steps okay how am i going to get to this point how am i going to get back on stage the best or how am i going to get on the platform and be the best well it's going to come down to you just being consistent with whatever steps are going to get you there, mapping it out, coming up with a plan and being consistent of attacking that plan. You're going to have more days where you feel unmotivated than anything. And you're going to have to push through. But those are the days that are the most rewarding. Once you complete a day where you've just had to really, you know, earn the day and push through, it's, it's gratifying. And having more days like that makes those days easier. Consistency is king. It makes everything fall into place. So for anybody else trying to do anything, just be consistent. Even if you have days
0: you mess up, you don't get perfect. Just pick it back up. Be consistent again. Yeah. That's same idea of just getting 1% better every time you go into the gym. Just improving. Yep. Every time. Yeah. Well, folks, this has just been an incredible conversation with Coach Justin Dubs. You can find him on Instagram at coach underscore Dubs HTX. If you're looking yeah. for a great coach to learn from, you can DM him for more info at Dubs Barbell Club. Uh, because he would love to work with you, um, pass on some knowledge. Uh, if you are someone that's uh, a recovering addict or someone that's just looking for for some advice, he's the guy to talk to. Um, he'd love to, to help you out, and encourage you as best he can. Awesome. Um, Don't hesitate. And be sure to check out the Overcome podcast on Spotify oh. or iTunes uh, yeah. to hear from Justin and another guest for this season, Rob the Savage Hall. Yeah. Um, but with that, folks, we will catch you next time. Hey, y'all, if you love that episode and you're craving just a little bit more from me, you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or Spotify at Faith Fitness and French Toast or visit us on Instagram at Faith underscore Fitness underscore podcast for full interviews, trailers, and more for the rest of season four. We have such an exciting lineup for the rest of the season, so don't forget to turn on your post notifications on Instagram and stay connected on your platform of choice to be the first to hear about guest announcements and early episode releases. With that, I'm Moses Allwood. Thanks as always for listening, and I'll see you July 11th with Rob Buddha Philippist.